the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And one of my favorite people in America is on the line, Victor Davis Hanson, who has as great insights as he has courage, a rare combination. Victor Davis Hanson is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford and frequent contributor to National Review, American Greatness, and many other websites, and he has made some Prager University videos. Victor, welcome back to my show. Thank you for having me, Dennis. It's always a joy. So I, you're one of the handful of people I am truly interested in getting their reactions to the midterm elections. So take it away. Well, it was mixed, I think. If you had a choice between the Senate and the House, I'd probably take the, the Senate because he cannot be impeached and convicted. He can make treaties. Uh, he can get his judicial appointments through. And this, he's not only going to have, depending on these late returns that are coming in, he's probably going to have three to four seats. And he's not going to have uh, Bob Corker and Flake and therefore Susan Collins and uh, other people that are moderate won't have as much leverage over them. The downside, of course, is that with the House, Adam Schiff and Maxine Waters and that sort of lunatic fringe of an increasing lunatic party are going to jam the administration with subpoena requests, investigations, and probably even investigate the prior investigations. So there's not going to be anything done in the House side, so he's going to have to rely, like Obama did, on executive orders, more deregulation. In terms of history, Dennis, uh, they usually use about 25 to 26 seats, at least since 1934. So that was about average, much better than the 63 that Obama lost and the 53 that Clinton lost. So, and he's, I think he's the first president, if he wins the Arizona and they confirm the Florida win, he'll, he will have picked up more Senate seats than any president in the first midterm since FDR did it, I think, in 34. And we don't really hear that in the media. But long term for the 2020, I think he really needs to reach out to, uh, he's got this economic program that's been wonderful for minorities. And he keeps buoyed by these uh, polls that blacks and Latinos are up 30 or 40 percent. But he has to, to materialize that if those uh, polls are accurate. So I really like him to see to go into the minority communities and say, you know, Forget the rhetoric. You're working and you have leverage over employers, and I did that. And I did that because I want you, for the first time in your life, to be valued as an employer, a worker, and have people come to you rather than you beg for a job. And that's a really powerful message. And I think he could get up to 20% of the black vote or 30 or 40% of the Latino vote, and that would be fatal in 2020 to the Democrats. And maybe, I don't know how you appeal to suburban women, but um, he's got to 
talk a little bit more about secu- national security and keeping the country safe and stuff. But uh, I don't underestimate the left. I think a lot of people write them off as loony or they're just crazy. They are all of that. But if you, if you look at the Kavanaugh hearings, if it were not for the passion speech of Kavanaugh and Lindsey Graham, they would have pulled that off, I think. I think they would have got people to weaken and cave in. So they're very effective in that crude street theater tactic that they, they employ. I think we underestimate them sometimes. Well, I don't. <laughs> I believe we're in, a, we're in an existential crisis in the United States between right and left. Uh, one will bring down the civilization, as it does every civilization. The left is a force of chaos. That is yeah, my understanding. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling you might. In The Federalist, there's a very interesting piece today about the, you raised the women issue and about how a, a number of districts were turned around because of college-educated women. So one is now, uh, I think we are now reaping, finally, if we haven't already reaped this even a generation earlier, the effects of transforming colleges into indoctrination institutions rather than educational institutions. I want you to, I want you to tell me, I'm just curious, how much has your understanding of, of the ancient world contributed to your understanding of the present world, or are they pretty much separate issues? No, I, I'd say almost everything. Uh, I, I look back on the context because you go across time and space, human nature doesn't change. So whether it's these cities talking about the Stasis of Kersira, the Median Dialogue, it's, or Plato or Aristotle, it's usually there is a left in us in the ancient world, and it's it wants redistribution of debts. It wants quality of result. It wants to blame people's inability to do as well as others on structural problems rather than to look inward. And there's a, an upper middle class, a professional class, or people who sometimes are written off as oligarchs or selfish, but the same smears, slanders, difference in ideology exists in Roman Greece. I think they're a little bit different, that people are much more empirical. By that, I mean that Aristotle or Cicero, they were not as um, prejudiced by contemporary culture or by the media, so they looked at the world empirically. And what they, they wrote down what they saw. They had their own personal prejudices, but they were much more astute and perceptive of what these trends were. So I learned a lot more from them about uh, these political differences than I would watching MSNBC or The Five or... Uh, any of these groups, even though I like them. my uh, my argument for uh, I'm sorry, yeah, and I hear you. I like the, a lot the, of yeah, sorry. No, no, I know I hear you perfectly clearly. You, you, it's not your point is not anti them. Your point is where you get truth from or wisdom from. Uh, I have the exact same view of the Bible. That's my that's my sphere of expertise, as it were, uh, from my whole life and in. in deeply involved in biblical Hebrew, etc. And uh, my one of my chief arguments for why it's it has greater insight than almost anything today is your, your point you made. It's rooted in human nature, and human nature is timeless. Human nature of the ancients is identical to human nature today. So if it was relevant to human nature 
2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago in, in some parts of the Old Testament, then why would it not be relevant today? It was either irrelevant then and irrelevant today or relevant then and relevant today. No, that's exactly right. I think technology and popular culture confuses and in our arrogance. We think that we've changed brain chemistry or human nature sociologically metamorphosizing or whatever we think, but it's wrong. And um, so a lot of these, these divides and these tensions are always going to be there, and we can learn how to deal with them. But um, in the ancient world, a lot of the prominent people who were revolutionaries were from the upper middle class. Catiline, for example, or some of the people um, in the ancient Greek world, and they just assumed that these were people who were frustrated in their career ambitions and felt that they deserved particular uh, prerogatives that were denied to them, and then they adopted the other side as a vehicle for their own careers. They were very cynical, in other words, and so when I see some of the people like Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, I don't really believe that they're real revolutionaries uh, or Dianne Feinstein. These are people who like hyper-capitalism. They like the accoutrements of being very wealthy. They like to live in gated communities. They like to put their kids in prep school. And then the rest of it is sort of either psychological compensation, I guilt, destroy the circle that they live one way and then they profess another, or uh, they're, they're just cynical careerists. But uh, that, that's what's frustrating because a lot of people take these people for word, and I, I think a lot of them are really cynical. It's about power, and they don't really care about people in the inner city, or they don't care about where well, I'm looking out the window at a bunch of uh, poor farmers who've had their water cut off. I, I just don't believe that, that they're sincere. I, I think they're sincerely dangerous, but a lot of the motivations are selfish and careerist. I think we kind of forget that. Wow. So let's get back to my question to you about the election and that now I believe the the chickens are coming home to roost with regard to this alienation of the suburban woman and and almost as much the suburban man, this this well-educated, relatively affluent individual uh, who votes uh, Democrat for the first time uh, or one of the first times, I think that the transformation of colleges and high schools, for that matter, from educational to indoctrination institutions is a big factor. You don't have to agree with me. I always tell my guests that. What is your take? No, I agree 100% as somebody who spent, you know, 25 years as a professor and works on a campus. They combine the worst of both attributes of being ignorant and then they're arrogant. So they think, that, like, you'd see that with a cook. Ocasio-Cortez, who knows nothing about economics or the Middle East, and yet she pontificates all the time about it. Then then there's that larger culture that that the university is very nihilistic. You know, you you don't marry until you're 25, 30, 35. You don't maybe have one kid, maybe not. You live in an apartment. You sometimes live with your kid. It's not the frontier can-do, independent, confident way that our parents and grandparents used to do, get married early, have kids, children, have a family, and then work as a partnership. It's sort of the pajama boy life of Julia approach to the world. And it's very toxic to conservative traditional values. And Trump, I don't know, 
some days I get up and think, how's he going to win over 10 or 20 percent of those people? And then the other days I think he's never going to win them over. So I go back and forth, but he's yeah, a very, very majority. That's right. All right, Victor Davis Hansen, thank you for your time and everything you do. I'm Dennis Prager. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.